but I just want to do uh, try to give you some practical advice, uh, be able for you guys to kind of just see the importance of what this passage is talking about. So to mo- uh, today's uh, lesson, you know, I've called it "Glorify God with Your Body." Uh, we're gonna be studying how important it is that we use our body for God's glory and not use things outside of the body for uh, the edif- the glorification of our own body, the satisfaction of our own body. But all that we do is to be submitted to God and to use for His glory. Now, last week we uh, studied uh, verses uh, 1 through 11 about how we ought to care for one another and how we are to hold each other. Uh, and chance, uh, again, um, amazing message this morning. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, do it so this week on how we ought to relate with one another, right? We ought to relate with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and not to seek the demise of our brothers, but to be uh, together in family. At the end of the passage last week, we get, we're given a list of many sins that God despises, that makes us unrighteous. And so I want to read for, uh, from verse 8. Um, as Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church here for how they're treating their brothers. So chapter 6, verse 8. It says, But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. And he reminds them here in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, there's a rhetorical question. They absolutely know. They've been taught this. It says, Do not be deceived. And here it is a command. He is command, commanding them. God is commanding them that they should not be deceived. We need to be careful not to be deceived. And it says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul here is making it very clear that people that practice these sorts of things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I was, as I was studying for this, for today's message, I saw a comment from uh, Jay Adams on this and say that this particular list of sins is not the only one. It's not inclusive of all sins, but it's one that we find just as we find throughout other passages of Scripture. These sins are the type of sins that if you practice these sins, you yourself can be labeled as this sin. Right. What do we call someone that lies? A liar. So if you are continuously lying, you can become known as a liar. Now you're not known as your first name, but you're known as your sin. If you commit adultery, what are you? An adulterer. So now you don't you're not known by your name, but now you are known by your sin. If you are a swindler, right? A a con man, someone that cheats people, you're not going to be known by your name. They're going to be like, hey, there's that con man. There's that cheater. So this list is one that just warns us to be careful to stay away from these sins because it's not a, 
oh, you lied, is we become known as a liar or as a drunkard or greedy. But as all such things, there's always redemption in Christ. Your prior life before the Lord could have been categorized by any one of these sins. You may have been known as a thief, or you may have been known as being greedy, or as a homosexual, or as a fornicator, or as a drunk. But in Christ, we are made new. And that's the hope that God gives us. And, and Paul leaves verse 11 with this such hope. Not that you are stuck in that sin, not that you are to live the rest of your life being known by that sin, but we have hope. Verse 11, and such were some of you, were. See, the Corinthians had been redeemed. They had been made new. And he's reminding them, just as he's reminding them of the sin, being staying away from the sin, the sin that makes us unrighteous, maybe even the sin that we were known for before we came to the Lord, He is also reminding them that in Christ, you are no longer those things. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you are not in Christ, then you are still known by your sin. The Lord God, when he sees you, he sees your sin. And therefore, you are unrighteous and you are not welcome in his home. But if you are in Christ, you've repented and placed your faith in him, then God sees his son perfect, righteous, holy. And there we have hope. And now we're not known to God as sexually immoral or an idolater. Or an adulterer, but we're known as his child. And so as we come into verse 12, this portion of chapter 6, we need to keep in mind our position before the Lord, our position before God. If you are in Christ, you have been washed. You have the power and the ability through the Spirit of God to abstain from sin. As we read in Genesis 6, without God and without the help of the Spirit, what is humanity led to? Humanity just continues on to sin. Man figure out new ways to sin. So the danger here is if you're not in Christ, doesn't matter how good you think you are, you are prone to continue on sinning and finding ways of sinning. As believers, we are commanded, as verse 9 says, to not be deceived. If you are in Christ, you are to no longer live in sin. You are to no longer continue to practice sin. You were that, but now you've been washed and sanctified 
So two ways we're deceived. If you are in Christ, is that you can just live your life however you want. No, you can sin all you want. God's going to forgive you anyways. Or if you're not in Christ, the way you're being deceived is that there's no consequence for your sin. And that all will be okay. But it's not. You are unrighteous before God. And no one will see the Father except through Jesus Christ. So as we come to our passage, please keep in mind this. If you are in Christ and you have repented, we continue to get more ways on how do we live our life to honor God, how we ought to think for some things. If you're not in Christ, I pray that you, that the Holy Spirit convicts you this morning, that you're able to repent, turn from your sin, and follow God. So let's, let us read our passage, verses 12 through 20 today. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and I will and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So for our first point this morning, I want us to focus and study that not all things are helpful. Now, if you notice in your Bible, you should have quotations around all things are lawful for me. Correct? Most of you, or I think all of you should have the quotations. So these are informations that Paul is receiving, right? As he's receiving these letters, these are quotes that he's getting that people are saying in the Corinthian church, all things are lawful for me. But then Paul goes and he clarifies, right? And, and he, he does kind of like an exception, an, an exception here. But not all things are helpful. Repeats again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so it's, as reading through, through commentaries and, and things like that, it, it's difficult to really come down to like, what exactly is he talking about besides that he, this is a quote that he is con cons consistently hearing from the people. But the clarification here is, is easy for us to understand in letting us know, letting the Corinthian church know that not all things are helpful, although you could possibly do them. Now, remember, as we study scripture, we got to take scripture within the context of what we're reading of the letter that we're reading and also within the context of 
all of Scripture. So it's obvious that as Christians, we cannot do all things that we want to do, correct? We just read a list of things that we cannot do as Christians. So what necessarily are they talking about here? Well, there is a saying in the Corinthian and Corinth at that time. It's verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. It's kind of saying, uh, our sayings like today, we have some that, some of it, love is love, right? Um, we say, follow your heart. Uh, what are some other catchy sayings that are uh, coming around? YOLO. YOLO, you only live once, right? So it's kind of like, this is a saying in that, uh, in that time. And so Christians, as they're learning to be Christians, they kind of came up with their own sign too, right? Their own lingo and their all quote. It says, all things are lawful for me. I've been set free in Christ. But what happened is that these Corinthians were taking this a little too far and saying that, well, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Well, the body is meant for uh, sexual immorality. And so sexual immorality is good for the body. And this, of course, is very contrary to what God teaches us through Scripture. And in verse 13, we get a clarification, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Going back to verse 12, we see a kind of a similar reference in Romans 14, 14. What are we to do what can we do as Christians what are we free to do Romans 14 14 says I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself talking about food and and other things but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean there's a a great sermon by R.C. Sproul it's called the tyranny of the weaker brother and it's a very catchy title, The Tyranny of the Weaker Brother. And I thought when I first was going to listen to it, I thought he was going to lay on the weaker brother. I thought he was going to lay on on the immature Christians, on the baby Christians, because they're very picky and they're very, everything is bad for them and everything is sinful for them. People can't go out to the movies because it's sin. Like, I thought he was going to lay it on them. Have you ever listened to R.C. Sproul? Man, he laid it on the mature Christian. And he laid it on strong. He didn't hold any punches. And the, and the premise of his sermon, I wish I could play it for you and I just sit down. But the premise of his sermon is that as mature Christians, all that we do, say, eat, drink, needs to be done with our weaker brother in mind. If I'm going somewhere, let's say the movies, don't worry, I used to think the movies were sinful too, okay? But if I'm going to go to the movies and I know that somebody thinks it's sinful or they think that it's wrong for a Christian to do so, one, if they're around, guess what? I'm not going to the movies. Or two, 
I won't post it, right? Or I won't put it everywhere because I'm thinking of the weaker brother. If I'm going to uh, drink something, right, I'm going to do it in private because I know that there are many brothers that would consider that sinful. If I'm going to eat something, if somebody thinks it's sinful to eat bacon, I'm not going to order a bacon cheeseburger in front of them. And that was the premise, is that as mature Christians, we have the responsibility and the obligation to live our life as if there was a baby Christian that was going to see our actions. The way we speak, the entertainment that we enjoy. And so this puts into perspective just how important it is. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Now, R.C. Sproul does an excellent job breaking it down. He's a little hard to understand if you have my kind of understanding. So you might be smarter and understand him better. But I really encourage you to read or listen to that sermon, The Tyranny of the Weaker Brother. Yes, there are many things that we can do as Christians that we are free to enjoy. But if it is affecting the conscience of our weaker brother, then we can cause them to sin. And therefore, we're responsible for that sin. A part of the discipling is we teach brothers and sisters. But ultimately, the conviction will be brought by the Holy Spirit. There are many today that think eating pork is sinful and other foods, shellfish, and that's their conviction. And so therefore, don't do it in front of them. Don't pressure them either, right? Come on, eat some bacon. It's not going to do you any bad. That is sinful. We are free in Christ But the caveat is, we find it in verse 20. The caveat is, all that we do has to be for the glory of God. And I ask you that question this morning. Is all that you do for the glory of God? Or are you only seeking to satisfy yourself? Do you think about your brother? Do you think about your sister when you're going to do something, when you're going to say something? We need to keep our weaker brother in mind. And we get a stark reminder. Second part of verse 13, it says, God will destroy both one and the other. Talking about the stomach and the food. Kind of just leaves it there to very quickly tell us. The body's perishing. Food will perish. So what good is it to continuously satisfy our body, to continuously satisfy our desires, since one day they will be destroyed? How then will it all be worth it? Well, if we are doing it for the glory of God, again, as in verse 20. 
Our bodies will perish one day. And all that we did to satisfy it will be gone. Whether we satisfied our sin, whether we satisfied hunger, satisfied our emotions, whatever it may be, it's going to be gone. But are you subjecting your body to glorify God? Are you living by the word? Are you praying? Are you using your body to serve God, to serve the body, to serve your brother and your sister? Second part of verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And you're going to see this pattern, right, through human history, as we just read, even in Genesis. The sexual immorality is a sin that just attacks like no other. It's consistently being brought up to flee from it, the dangers of it. There are diseases that can plague your body. The emotional distress and destruction that comes with sexual immorality can scar people for life. That's why we're we're consistently being taught and encouraged to flee from it. Reminding us, God continuously reminding us what the body is for. See, we think our body is ours. What is a great popular saying nowadays? My body, my choice. And it's a great lie. It's a great lie because the scripture continuously tells us that our body is not ours. Our body belongs to God. What we do with our body and to our body has to reach the goal of glorifying God. Sexual immorality brings lots of destruction. Not just physically, but emotionally. That's why God designed this gift to be enjoyed only in marriage. With your husband, with your wife, and no one else. Why? Because our body needs to glorify God. We're consistently reminded that God needs to be the priority in our life. Something else that Jay Adams says is when is the second principle is that one must avoid becoming enslaved to anything that in itself is otherwise lawful. So food, possessions, computers, all these things are lawful. Video games are lawful. Books are lawful. Right? Pizza, burgers, all this is lawful. 
But when one becomes so attached to something that it becomes an idol to him, he has violated the principle and has sinned. What is ruling you? Or do you have control over these things? Is the Xbox possessing you? Does it rule you? Are you on a schedule for this Xbox? Or do you have absolute control over the Xbox? Your friendships. Do your friends rule you? Does the time you spend with your friends, does that control you? Or are you able to control the time that you spend with your friends? How about the conversations you have with your friends? Who dictates those conversations? Are you enticed by them or do you control them? These things are lawful. These things God has given us for us to enjoy. But see, as humans, our tendency is to become enamored by these things. Our tendency is to give our all to these things and we are controlled by them. We got a schedule. I got to get on my computer at this time. I got to do this. I have to eat right now or else I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. And when those things become an idol, they become more important than God, than we have sinned. To be ruled, this is against Jay Adams, again Jay, Jay Adams, to be ruled by anyone or anything but Jesus Christ is idolatry. <coughs> so idolatry looks different for all of us. Ultimately, we can know if we have an idol by asking that question, am I being ruled by Jesus Christ or am I being ruled by something else? Are you being ruled by your passion for sports, even school? Or are you being ruled by Jesus Christ? Again, none of this is sinful in itself. But when it takes us away from glorifying God, it becomes sin. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Again, what are we really thinking about? What are are we desiring, right? Are we thinking about that great day? That if we are in Christ, we will be resurrected and raised up in power and our bodies transformed to when no longer we're going to feel pain, no longer we're going to feel hunger. No longer are we going to be tempted by sin. Do we think about those things? Or are we just too focused with what's here on earth? I wish I remember who I heard this from. So quote them if you ever find it. But it said one of the things as Christians that we rarely tend to think about. uh, One of the benefits of being glorified in Christ is that we are no longer ever, ever going to have a temptation of sin. As far as you remember, 
There hasn't been a day in your life that you have not been tempted to sin. We don't know what a day without temptation of sin looks like. That's astonishing to think about. Astonishing to think about. Even as soon as a baby is born, they throw fits. There is rebellion, anger. We don't know what not being tempted by sin is. And so the Lord gives us many strategies for us to learn, to practice. It's like a playbook for our life. For those of you that play sports, I think right now a football season, right? If you guys were going into the field and your coach said, hey, guys, figure it out. No playbook. The quarterback doesn't have his little sleeve thing. You didn't watch any tape. You don't even know the team's name. And your coach said, go, line up. Hopefully you guys win. So like the Cowboys. So like the Cowboys. <laughs> Pretty close. Pretty close. Thank you, Green Bay. Imagine the disaster that game will be. Do you think the chances of winning is high or low for that team? Low. Very low. Very low. Maybe by some miracle they might pull it off, right? If the other team are missing three legs and they're blind. and Then maybe, right? Then maybe they're going to win. But if we're equally as talented, the one that has the playbook, the one that has a plan, the one that's watched tape and understands the opponent will most likely have a chance at winning, correct? So is our Christian life. God has not sent us into the world to just go figure it out. You got this. He's given us a playbook, which is our the scripture. One, because he understands that we are consistently going to be bombarded with the temptation to sin. With the occasion of we are going to sin. And so he gives us the warnings to look for. And because he's given us what to look for and what to avoid. And how to think about things. Is why he can command us to not be deceived. Continuously remind us just how much better it is that we are in Christ. Yes, this body wants to sin. This heart thinks of ways to sin. But if I submit this body and this heart and this heart and this mind to Christ, then I can have victory over sin. And to keep in mind, God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Right there, when you read that, you can put, he will raise me up by his power. That is the hope that we have in Christ. How we live our Christian life matters, students. Are you living it to glorify God? Or just to satisfy 
yourself. So for our second point, that was kind of a long first point. But we're reminded we are one in Christ. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Again, rhetorical, yes, they know this, they've been taught. Now, many of you have been raised at church, and you've heard this over and over and over. But do you know? Is it true to you? Yes, you can quote it, but do you live it? They're members of Christ, all of us that are in Christ. So it goes without saying, if you are not in Christ, you're not part of his body. You need to repent. You want the privileges of being in Christ? Repent from your sin. And then shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Shall I take what Christ has given me and pollute it and trash it? No, never. So why do we do that with our life? Why are we so careless with the way that we live our life, with what we do with our body. It's no longer ours, it's Christ's body. Again, Paul reminding them of the importance of abstaining from sexual immorality until you are married, because then it's no longer sexual immorality, but you are enjoying the gift that God has given us verse 16 do not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written the two will become one flesh now the corinthian people the the society of corinth they they worshiped sex they had temples with prostitutes both male and female they roamed the streets free Part of the worship was to indulge in sexual immorality. There was no shame or law against it. It was who the Corinthians were. It was so bad and their reputation was so bad throughout society at that time that it was considered an insult to be called a Corinthian. Because that automatically implied that you lived a very immoral life. I'm sure there are words you've heard that are similar in our society. But being of that era called a Corinthian was a great insult for an individual. Especially if they weren't from Corinth. Because this society was so immoral 
And yet, there is a church that has been set free, that has been separated, that Christ has built in that society, not to blend in, but to stand out and to win the lost. I know it's tempting for us to look around and see the immorality of our culture, of our country. And maybe some thoughts come like, man, I should just move somewhere where it's just better. Like people behave better. So it's not, I'm not so surrounded with sin. But God has put you here at this moment in history to stand firm for him. For us to live a life that will glorify him. Sadly, it's going to continue to grow the sinfulness of people. Nowhere in here does Paul command the church at Corinth, hey, you guys need to go somewhere else. You guys need to find another island. You guys need to go and just start somewhere else, start your own country. Because it's too bad in Corinth. No. He reminds them who they are in Christ. The power they have through the Holy Spirit. That they can live holy lives. They can abstain from sin. And make a difference in the society that they find themselves in. So our society and our culture is no excuse for us to indulge in sin. Is no excuse for us to be tolerant of sin. Is no excuse for us to redefine what sin is. God has already defined us. And his expectation is that we stand strong where we are today. Can you do that? Are you trusting the Lord enough to do that? Or are you allowing yourselves to be influenced by the culture to waver on the things that God says not to waver on? Verse 17, Paul brings it again. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Man, what we have in Christ is just so much greater than what the world has to offer us. It may seem impossible to some of you to abstain from sin and to live a holy life. Maybe you've already fallen into sexual immorality. It may seem impossible to just break away from it, but in Christ, he gives us that power to abstain. He makes us new. Who, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We are Christ's body. Do you know what you have in Christ? This is important because this is what's going to motivate you to live your life in a way that honors God. For our third point, 
flee from sin. It is that simple. You don't want to sin, flee from it. It's not easy. But that's the simple thing. There's three commands that are given to us here, imperatives. In chapter 6, not being deceived is the first one that we find in this chapter. The second one is here. Flee from sexual immorality. It is a command that God gives us to flee. Not to stand around, not to entertain it, not to think, how can I get around it? Or how can I not get caught? Well, maybe I can just a little bit before I sin. No, it says flee from sexual immorality. A great example we have of this is Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He didn't stand around trying to argue with her like, whoa, what did you do? Now he fled. He took off running. We are to flee. This is a command. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And remember, whose body is it really? If we are in Christ, it's Christ's body. And even if you're not in Christ, your body is not yours is a body that God has given you that you will still be accountable for. Proverbs 5.11, again, just a stark reminder of what our end is like. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. All of us, one day, will have to give an account to God for what we did with our body, both in Christ and outside of Christ. Will we be able to stand before him and say, I glorified you with my body? Or are we going to have to tell him, I did everything possible to satisfy my flesh? Lying, cheating, conning people, all that has terrible consequences. But it's all outside your body. Sexual immorality, you sin against your own body. God is preventing, help us prevent the damage that comes from this sin. The regret, maybe even sicknesses that come with this. God knows the consequences. And he's letting us know that it's better just to flee than than to have to try to deal with them. And again, we're reminded in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God.
And what's so amazing about this is that even Jesus looked at his body the same way in John 2, 21. Turn to John 2, 2, 18. When Jesus was here in the physical body, Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Verse 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So even Jesus knew that his body was temple. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So we have no right over our own bodies. It is not my body, my choice. It is God's body. God's choice, what I do with it. Shall I destroy my body with sin, with indulging in sin? Or as verse 20 says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And what's that price? The blood of Christ. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul finishes this section right here with the third command in this chapter. It says, so glorify God in your body. Philippians 1.20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death the price paid is very high by the blood of Christ the perfect holy sinless Jesus it is not your own body And so with the third command, glorify God with your body. Now it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. How simple is it? Flee from sexual immorality. 
do not entertain the thought. Come to the Lord with prayer and supplication for resistance of temptation. It's simple. Flee. Flee from it. And not just sexual immorality. Any other sin that you may be tempted to commit. Flee from it. If you need help, reach out to others to pray for you, to counsel you. As we're studying this morning, we are all one body. We're brothers and sisters to take care of each other, to love one another, especially if someone falls into sin. We are to win our brother. And so use our body for the glory of God. To serve one another, to abstain from sin. Take the gospel to the lost. Deny ourselves. Let us not be controlled by anything, but that we may have control over the things in our life and put them under submission whether it be sports games movies any kind of entertainment friends don't let any of that control you especially your sinful desires our body is not meant to be satisfied for of every desire some desires are meant to be put to death Remember, remember that we will be raised by his power. We are joined to the Lord. We become one spirit with him. And that you are bought with a price. Your body, your, your life is worth something much more than to indulge in sin. So students, I encourage you and I remind you that you are able to live a life that will honor God, that you are able to fight sin, that you are able to stand firm for the Lord. The only way you're going to be able and have this power is in Christ. If you are not in Christ, but you are tired of living your life, just living for sin and being controlled by your sinful desires, this is the morning that the Lord has prepared for you to repent. Turn to the Lord, repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ, and you too will have this power to fight off sin and to live a life that will honor and glorify God 